You're listening to a sermon from our pastor, Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Good evening. We're going to be in various texts tonight, so this is an unusual night as we prepare uh, for the Lord's Supper. Um, But as I mentioned this morning, and as most of you are aware, uh, this Tuesday is a very important date on our calendar, as it is the 506th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation. The Reformation didn't take place in one day. It began on that one day, and then it took place over the course of many, many decades. But on that day, Luther was not trying to start a Reformation. He just wanted a debate. He was concerned about the abuses he was seeing in the church, and so he nailed those 95 theses, uh, complaints uh, to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. And uh, from that, uh, he started a revolution that church historians now describe as the Protestant Reformation. But following that act on that night in October of 1517, Luther began to engage in various discussions and debates uh, with the church, church leaders. Um, But his greatest impact, perhaps, was in his writings. Of course, he wrote hymns. Uh, We we, we sing one of those hymns, a, a, a mighty fortress is our God. But he wrote many treatises and books, and uh, he, he worked on translation. He, he, he played a critical role in, in even the German language as it is today. Uh, he, he perhaps was a genius. But one of his most pointed writings, in fact, many believe it was his most effective an important writing. I have it in my office. I had to read it when I was in school, uh, in, when I was working uh, on my degree. And that, the title of that book was The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. Interestingly, he wrote it in Latin because he did not intend for the laity to read it. He wanted the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church to be the ones who read that a particular work. But in that book, he goes after the sacramental system of the Roman Catholic Church. Of course, Roman Catholics even today believe there are seven sacraments and all seven are efficacious. They are necessary in order for us to be saved. Even though most people will not be saved ultimately when they die uh, and therefore they have to go on to purgatory. Um, but in that book... He attacks the notion uh, that you see that the church controls the life of the worshiper from cradle to grave and and brings every important act and and every important event under the power of the priest. And this system Luther describes as a captivity. And Rome, that is the Roman church, as at his time, the modern-day Babylon. And here's how the system worked, essentially. I mean, we could, we could spend a whole lot of time here, but one is baptized infant, as an infant, washing away original sin, all right? 
And in fact, um, Adam representing us as our, as our head, our federal head, um, by that baptism of the infant now, uh, the, the baby is no, no longer subject to that condemnation. And then uh, the, the worshiper is confirmed in his or her youth, uh, marries a mature per, as a mature person, and then receives at the end of his or her life extreme unction, that is, last rites before their death. And each of these ceremonies, along with ordination, uh, were seen as sacraments where they convey grace um, when administered by the priest, saving grace as the, as the, the one uh, who is receiving that grace um, participates synergistically with that grace, and that person is progressively justified. Of course, we understand justification as, a, as an act. It's not uh, a process, but they see it as a process. And the grace conferred through these sacraments were uh, supplemented throughout one's life by regular confession of sin to the priest. That's the sixth sacrament. And then the Eucharist, what we call the Lord's table, but for them, it's a completely different notion, the Eucharist being the second sacrament or the seventh sacrament. And so from the cradle to the grave, the worshiper was depended upon and controlled by the church if the worshiper was to receive the needed grace for one's salvation. And again, one of the great um, beliefs in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, and this was coined by uh, Cardinal Bellarmine during the time of the Reformation, is that you can't have assurance of salvation. In fact, he said the Reformer's great heresy was the doctrine of assurance. And, and, and that makes sense when you consider that for them, even justification is a process, whereas most people will not be fully justified when they die except for the, 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 the saints, okay? Well, Luther studied the scriptures, and he is studying church history, and, and he saw not seven sacraments, and he saw two, the Lord's Supper and baptism, and he saw them not means to grace, but means of grace. There is a world of difference. And, and the effect of that was to shift the focus from the church and the clergy as the sole administrators of grace to Christ alone. Uh, this morning we talked about the five solas, and one of those five solas is Christ alone. It is Christ alone who is the mediator of God's saving grace. Now, by Christ alone, Luther and, and all the other reformers rightly meant essentially three things. Christ alone is the Savior. Christ alone is the sacrifice for sin. And Christ alone is the mediator between God and man, not an earthly priest. Now, because we are observing the table tonight, I want to focus on uh, one of those three tonight, and that is Christ alone as our sacrifice. Christ alone is the only sacrifice for sin. And I want us to ponder that tonight as the Lord prepares our hearts. Most of us are very acquainted with everything I will share with you tonight. 
But this is a time to remember what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us for our salvation. So what do we mean when we say Christ alone is the sacrifice for our sins? It means that his death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can pay the debt of our sin. Christ alone and his sacrifice is the only sacrifice that can pay the debt of our sins. But how does this cross, how does the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ save us? I want to give you three thoughts before we partake of the table. First of all, it was substitutionary. Christ alone is our substitute. It was substitutionary. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Or as Peter would say it in 1 Peter 3.18, this Christ offered himself as a sacrifice once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And so on the cross, it was if Jesus Christ had lived our lives. So just think about the apostle Paul, for instance. He said he was the chief of sinners, and then he kind of lays out his sins in three categories. He was a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of the gospel, right? First Timothy uh, chapter 1. And so on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was punished as a persecutor, a blasphemer, and an insolent opponent. Put yourself there. What sins would have he had to pay for for you? He paid for them on the cross as our substitute. Every sin you've ever committed or presently committing or will ever commit, word, deed, thought, or action, motivations, sins of omission, sins of commission, uh, high-handed sins, and unintentional sins, the wrath of God was poured on the Son as our substitute. So Christ alone as our Savior, Christ alone as our substitute. His cross was substitutionary. Second, it was penal. Now that's a word that may not be as familiar with some, but it was penal. By this, it, we mean having to do with the legal punishment for sin. You've heard about uh, the penal code. Well, this is the legal punishment for our sin. The wages of sin is death. And so the punishment was paid on the son, the substitute. In other words, the penalty required for breaking the law of God was death. And the Lord Jesus Christ died as a penal substitute. That's a term we will often use, a penal substitute. He made him who knew no sin, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3, 13, Christ delivered us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
You see? He condemned our sin in the flesh of the Son of God. And so it was a penal substitution. And so this cross was substitutionary. It was penal. And because his sacrifice was substitutionary and penal, and this is so important for us all, and this is why we can have assurance of salvation. This is why we can affirm Fanny Crosby when she said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. His sacrifice was final. Substitutionary, penal, and final. Complete, sufficient. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted by the, above the heavens. He's a, the writer is contrasting this high priest from earthly high priests who were sinners and who died themselves and who, who needed sacrifices offered for their sin. He says he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for this for his own sins and then those for the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The once for all sacrifice. That's why we celebrate the table. That's why the reformers saw the need for a reformation. In part because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ offers the final sacrifice for sin. Indeed, his sacrifice, his, uh, his cross was substitutionary. It was penal, and it was final. It was sufficient. Of course, the doctrine of, of the mass, which is still observed today, where the elements are, are, are actually transubstantiated, changed, transformed, it denies the finality and the sufficiency of the cross and that is seen that they perceive that the cross is in need of continual supplementation through the altar. But the reformers, and that's why we celebrate the Reformation, recognize that communion is a supper, not a sacrifice. Why? Because the sacrifice has already been offered once for all. It is served upon the table, not upon the altar. We have a Savior who has finished his work. Indeed, he cried, it is finished. That's what we celebrate at the table. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.